Hey, Disney fans, looking for the latest Disney news? And interviews with some of Disney's biggest stars? Have we got the podcast for you. Welcome to D23 Inside Disney. I'm Jeffrey from D23. I'm Zynga from ABC's On the Red Carpet. And I'm Sherry from Oh My Disney. And together, we are taking you Inside Disney. Hello, Zynga! Hello, Sherry. Can we still say Happy New Year? We can still say Happy New Year. I'm going to be saying it for three months. <laughs> <laughs> well, Happy New Year, Sherry, and Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. We are down one Jeffrey today because you guessed it, he is on a Disney cruise. <laughs> <laughs> As he should be. He loves it. As he should be. He just sent me and Zynga three photos of chicken tenders, so I think he's having a great time. <laughs> But Jeffrey actually did record something, a little some, something special oh. for us. So uh, let's okay. take a listen. Hello, Zynga and Sherry. I am so sorry I am not able to be with you guys this week for the news. I was fully intending on calling in from the Disney Dream. But then a very important chicken tender seminar and tasting <laughs> was scheduled, perhaps by me. And I am now unable to be there. But it has been an incredible cruise so far. I cannot wait to tell you both about it and, and everyone about it when I am back. Such a great experience. So many things to... Oh. All right. Well, that's my cue. I got to go. Have a great week and I'll see you real soon. Wow. Jeffrey. I feel like he's... I actually want to see the recording of this tasting <laughs> <laughs> me too me too and i really hope he is packing some souvenir chicken tenders for us like he promised i'm just waiting for the day we see his face on like you know these chicken tenders like disney cruise line chicken tenders that oh yeah like the mascot for, <laughs> for chicken tenders Ooh, we can make that happen that'll be my resolution my new year's That's resolution right. 2024 coming at you boo <laughs> <laughs> well zinga what have you been up to this week well, I'm actually in New York City. Ooh. I'm really excited. Yes. Remember during the holidays, we talked about the 1619 Project and it's premiering January 26th mm -hmm. on Hulu. I'm out here actually filming with Nicole Hannah-Jones, a storyteller spotlight, and I will give you some more details when I have it. <laughs> but oh, so very exciting. Cool. Can't wait to see that. That's awesome. Yes. Yay. And Sherry, what about you? What have you been up to? Well, I finally got around to watching... Beauty and the Beast, a 30th celebration on Disney+. Plus. I know I'm like several weeks late, but it's a tale as old as time, so it's timeless. Wasn't oh it so good? Gosh, I loved it. I loved it so much. If you haven't checked it out yet, it is on Disney+. Plus. It is on Hulu. It is dazzling. I've like never experienced the movie that way with the blend of live performance and dancing mm -hmm. and behind the scenes footage from the making of the original animated film and iconic scenes from the movie playing out plus her the musician my fellow half filipina makes a wonderful uh, bell uh. if i do say so myself what a fun time and speaking of great times and the big apple we've got the president of disney theatrical group tom schumacher on the show later and jeffrey got to join us for that so you'll get to hear all of us together for that but tom is awesome <laughs> stay tuned for it but first, we've got lots of news to get to. Yes, we do. Our number one story this week is all about World of Color 1. We just got some new details on the songs, story, and visuals in the Nighttime Spectacular. This is all part of the Disney 100 celebration and is going to debut at Disney California Adventure Park on January 27th. You can check out a sneak 
peek on the Disney Parks blog. So, okay, here's the tea. The show celebrates how a single action, like a drop of water, creates a ripple that can grow into a wave of change, just as one man, namely Walt Disney, don't know if you've heard of him, started the (laughs) wave that has continued to grow and inspire people around the globe for 100 years. It's incredible. Yeah, yes. really, really cool. And this is the first Disneyland Resort nighttime spectacular to feature the characters, music, and moments from Walt Disney Animation Studios, Pixar, The Avengers, and Star Wars in the same production. Yes! How cool is that? And that since it's called cool. World of Color 1, thought I'd run through some numbers. Okay! <laughs> okay, there's a water screen that can span up to 380 feet across there will be 1,200 dancing fountains, and the musical score features 18 different compositions. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots so of numbers. Good numbers there, Sherry. Great numbers. <laughs> well, speaking of, you know, the, the, the whole nighttime experience, that's something that I'm really looking forward to this year. Mm-hmm. It's like having more of those experiences at night at the parks. And guess what? The schedule for the nighttime spectaculars at Walt Disney World is finally here. Yay! Yes. So here we go. We've got Happily Ever After, which returns to the Magic Kingdom Park on April 3rd. And you can expect all new projections down Main Street, USA. Yeah, Mm -hmm. baby. And if you're in the mood for a bit of enchantment, Disney Enchantment will continue running through April 2nd. And at Epcot, you can experience Harmonious, which is running through April 2nd. Then Epcot Forever returns similar to how it was in 2021 you can actually expect an all new nighttime spectacular which will debut at epcot later this year so just expect the whole year to be full of magic and enchantment Hmm. guess what the fun doesn't stop there though there's more to experience because tron light cycle run opens april 4th at magic kingdom park Really, I'm very intrigued about this because the story of Tron Light Cycle Run picks up after Tron Legacy, where, you know, Kevin Flynn's son, Sam Flynn, has opened a second gateway into the digital realm called the grid. Ooh. Yeah. So, like, the first of these portals he created is found at Shanghai Disneyland with the original Tron Light Cycle Power Run. Ah. Cool. Honestly, Sherry, this just sounds like an incredible immersive experience because apparently when you enter the queue at Magic Kingdom, you'll feel as though you're like digitized and transported into this grid for a special light cycle race. Wow. How cool. I can't wait for this. Yes, me too. Well, over on our coast, Downtown Disney District has shared all kinds of new things on the horizon this year, starting with Earl of Sandwich. Fellow sandwich lovers, it's coming back. (laughs) Earl of Sandwich will be returning this February. Ralph Brennan's Jazz Kitchen is going to fully reopen soon with a new look, a new menu, and a new name, Jazz Kitchen Coastal Grill and Patio. And they're serving a new, get this, open-faced grilled lobster BLT po' boy. Yes. Yes. And the second floor (laughs) space is now open and already seating guests, so you can chow down on that grilled lobster BLT po' boy, get yourself a bag of beignets and have the best day of your life. I am making a reservation in advance. You can get all the details on this and more on the Disney Parks blog, along with the latest concept art for Din Tai Fung, the restaurant, which I love. That will be opening on the west side of the district in the future. All right. And guess what? For all our runners out there, the 2023 to 2024 Run Disney Race season dates have been announced. This season, 
will include everything from virtual events you can run almost anywhere to the fan favorite Disneyland Half Marathon Weekend in January 2024. You can head over to the Disney Parks blog to get more information about the schedule, along with registration information for the five events and virtual series. Run Disney races are a memorable experience for runners of all ages and skill levels. And, you know, you get like a wonderful feature entertainment, you characters and Disney magic at every single mile. You know, I actually got to experience the Princess Half Marathon last year with our colleagues from ESPN. Yeah. And so it was indeed a memorable experience. I highly recommend it. These marathons are also the only opportunity for runners and Disney fans alike to run unique courses through the Disney parks. And in 2024, you will see the reintroduction of the Run Disney Coast to Coast Race Challenge. And more information about that will be available on rundisney.com later this month. Cool. Well, some big, big news from Marvel's idiot, bittiest little hero. Marvel <laughs> Studios just dropped a new action-packed trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Yes! The film opens in theaters February 17th, and the trailer debuted during this week's college football playoff national championships, which were on ESPN. And if you missed it, you can see the trailer now along with new posters for the film at marvel.com. This is kicking off phase five of the MCU. So get ready. Yes. And there's more MCU action happening because Black Panther Wakanda Forever will stream on Disney Plus February 1st. Can I hear a pause, please? Can I hear a pause, please? (laughs) Right. Okay. You can head over to Marvel Entertainment's YouTube page to watch the video announcing the streaming date on Disney Plus. In IMAX enhanced, yeah, in IMAX enhanced, I might add. You know what that is? That features an enhanced aspect ratio, allowing you to see up to like 26% more of the original image. And the Disney Plus news just gets better. Why? Well, because IMAX signature sound by DTS is coming to Disney Plus. Good sound just enhances the viewing experience. So it's like your own, like, you know, in-house movie experience. So this whole IMAX signature sound by TTS is coming later in 2023. Wow. Well, speaking of groundbreaking tech, Zynga, the 2023 first robotic season is underway with Disney Imagineers as mentors. If you don't know what FIRST is, it's a community that brings students together and prepares them for the future through team-based robotics competitions and mentorship. So starting this week, the students are brainstorming and building their robots based on different competition parameters and challenge solving. And they have about two months to build their robots with the goal being to compete for the international FIRST championship, which is in April Two months is not a lot of time. If I had like two <laughs> centuries to build a robot, I don't know. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> That's just how brilliant these people are, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you can see more at the Disney Parks blog and on the Walt Disney Imagineering YouTube. Yeah. From robots to rowboats, but these aren't <laughs> actually robots. So uh, not the best transition, but I'm trying. You did good, girl. <laughs> Thank you. These are state-of-the-art river cruises. Adventures by Disney has announced their 2024 river cruise itinerary. They are returning to three iconic European locations, the Rhine River, the Danube River, and the Seine. Okay, here's the most important one in my book, the Danube River Cruise Magical Holidays. It's the newest theme departure offered by Adventures by Disney. And this is the first time they're hosting a sailing during the New Year's holiday where you stop at Germany, Austria, and Hungary. Ugh, 
Oh my gosh. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine anything better? <laughs> Other fan favorite itineraries and activities returning for 2024 include such hits as Oktoberfest on the Danube River Cruise. Nice. You can check out this and more bookings are open to the public on January 20th, and you can find more details on adventuresbydisney.com. Fabulous. And why not continue the traveling adventures? Because new 2024 travel opportunities with National Geographic have also been announced. And in these ones, you can explore Europe's historic waterways. Holland and Belgium in springtime by river cruise. That's the first option. Rhine River Cruise, Basel to Amsterdam. I went to Amsterdam for the first time last year and had the time of my life. It is like a storybook. Third option, Danube Christmas Markets River Cruise. Yes. <laughs> can't get, you can't get enough of the Danube Christmas Market River Cruises. <laughs> and 2024 departure dates for their signature land category have also been announced, including North America, Africa, Asia, and Oceania. And you know what? If you want to have a little private expedition, that is available. You and up to nine of your best friends in your own Ooh. private party hosted by a private guide. What? Yes, please. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Visit natgeoexpeditions.com for more info. Yes. But before you jet set, do you know what time it is, Zynga? What time is this, Sherry? Time for five fantastic things to watch this weekend, presented by our friends at State Farm. For complete listings and details, visit d23.com. This week, we've got an all Pixar movie lineup leading up to the wonderful world of Disney. But Zynga, what's up first? Oh my goodness, I love it. You know, <laughs> I'm in New York and you might find the rat, you know, dragging pizza up a stair, <laughs> but there is one rat I absolutely love and it's Ratatouille. Oh. Available to stream on Disney Plus. Yay. Yay. Also available to stream on Disney Plus, Inside Out. Get reacquainted with joy, fear, anger, disgust, sadness, and most of all, bing bong. Oh, bing bong. Oh. And if you forget, speaking of forgetting, you can watch Finding Dory, <laughs> <laughs> which is also available to stream on Disney Plus. You know, you got that beautiful beautiful forgetful blue tang dory i mean i just we just love her and all of her adventures we've also got monsters inc available Yay. to stream on disney plus and cap off the weekend with the wonderful world of disney every sunday it's a new special movie and this sunday it's going to be finding nemo airing at 8 p.m on abc that's will awesome. they find nemo i don't have you been living under a rock yeah. <laughs> on to our guest the president and producer of disney theatrical productions who has overseen disney's 10 broadway titles that have been seen by more than 200 million guests including shows like the lion king which just celebrated its 25th anniversary on broadway has enjoyed 28 productions around the world seen by 110 million people and is the highest grossing broadway show of all time he also oversees Disney theatrical licensing, which creates shows for regional productions, as well as the junior and kids shows, which many of our nieces, nephews, cousins, and children of friends have participated in. Plus, he manages the 28 Disney productions currently being performed around the world. Please welcome to the show, Tom Schumacher. Yay! So I was lucky enough to be in the audience for the 25th anniversary celebration of The Lion King. 
which was unbelievable. I can only imagine what that was like for you. What was your favorite moment from that day? Well, the crazy thing about an anniversary of a show, think about this, you know, when a movie turns 25 years old, you've watched the same movie for 25 years. But when a Broadway show turns 25, there have been so many casts, so many people, so many kids who played young Simba and young Nala, for example. So at the 25th anniversary, having all the Cubs, the original one, Scott Irby Rainier, Scotty is, you know, 38 or something now. I mean, it's crazy. So people have come in and out of the show. Many of them have gone on to all sorts of other projects. So it becomes an odd family reunion meets anniversary. And for that, it means mostly you just cry the whole day. You, and, <laughs> and, you, and you also don't recognize people because they've changed so much over those years. Or in some cases, like the spectacular Lindy Wade Blamini, Lindy Wade's been in the show all 25 years. Wow. wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, did you ever think back more than those 25 years ago that The Lion King would be on and be one of the most successful shows on Broadway ever. Well, no, but don't forget The Lion King and people listening who know the fable of how the film got made. It's the film nobody wanted to work on. And it's the Broadway show nobody thought would work. So wow. we had very low expectations early on. The chairman of Disney Studios at the time, Jeffrey Katzenberg, when we were making The Lion King, had a luncheon with all the lead animators in what we then called the Garden Terrace on the lot out in California. And he said, I'll get on my hands and knees if this movie makes over $50 million. <laughs> oh, wow. I know. Yeah, and it's domestic gross back then was 320 million. And we didn't put international with domestic at the same time like we do today. And then when we started on the Broadway show, nobody thought it would work. Everyone thought it was a terrible idea. Even when the show opened and had become a hit, we were doing a sort of backstage TV show called Working in the Theater, which you can still see online. And Rick Ellis, who was then helping market the show, and today is a famous Broadway playwright, but Tommy was a marketing guy. And he said, 10 years from now, the show was six months old. He said, 10 years from now, when this show is still running, and the live audience for that TV program burst out laughing because nothing could possibly have run 10 years. And here we are at 25, and it's doing better business than it was doing five years ago. So that's putting it lightly. This factoid is insane. The Lion King's global box office from stage productions is higher, not only than any other stage production, but of any movie ever. Does that blow your mind? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's crazy. Any movie franchise, so it's grossed more than the entire Harry Potter franchise on film, all the wow. films put together, grossed more than the James Bond franchise. The only thing it hasn't grossed more than um, is the Star Wars franchise, if you include the last episode. Wow. Ah, oh my God. Wow. Insane. That is yeah. insane. Well, it really speaks to how many people, you know, have seen it, you know, 110, 120 million people or whatever. So it's a lot of people all over the world in different languages and crazy cultural settings. People have come to see the show. Speaking of all over the world, Disney Theatrical has 24 productions running globally right now outside of New York City. Do you have a favorite city to see a show, a Disney show? Well, it, you know, it sort of shifts. I mean, anybody who loves the theater loves seeing theater in London. And the Frozen that's playing in London is the biggest Frozen we've ever done. I mean, it's it's just huge. And there's effects in it that we've never done anywhere else. And 
the brilliant Sam Barks, who plays Elsa, who's a brunette in real life, is so transformed on stage. Mm. And, and that mm. I love seeing since I love London. But I'll tell you, three weeks ago, I was in Japan and I was walking on the stage where Lion King has been playing for 24 years in Tokyo. And I went to see Frozen in Japanese. And it was such a powerful experience to see it. And I love seeing shows in Japan because the audience acts very different than they do here. We have six shows running in Japan tonight, and uh, including Little Mermaid and Hunchback of Notre Dame, of course, Lion King. It's really, really Beauty and the Beast. We just opened there, another production, a different production of Beauty and the Beast. But to see a show in Japan, because the audience sees it differently, and as much as this show has a massive global reach, people see it differently, just as you all you know, would see it differently because you grew up with the movie, right? or people who never knew the movie, how they see it. How you see it, if you're a young Japanese woman, say Frozen, is very different than the experience somewhere else. Because culturally, you know, at the end, we all know this moment, at the end of Frozen, when Anna holds Kristoff back and she says, I'll take care of Hans, right? Leave this to me. And there's this great moment in the stage show where she walks all the way from downstage right to downstage left, and he says, you know, I, I thought she froze your heart. And then Anna says, the only frozen heart here is yours. And then she punches him right in the face. <laughs> and here, you know, in New York and London and on tour and everywhere, the audience cheers. Well, that's a quite shocking gesture for a young Japanese woman. And it was actually hard for her to rehearse. But I think she throws a better punch than anybody. So. <laughs> but it's great because you see the show, you know, we've done Lion King. We're about to start casting again for a second production in Brazil. We've oh. done it in, of course, Mexico. We have it, of course, in the States. We have it in Japan. We've done it in Germany. We've done it in the Netherlands. We have it running in France right now. And we did it in South Africa, in Johannesburg, which was deeply, deeply moving to see the show embedded in a location where the music of the show, because of the extraordinary work of Lebo M. And Lebo, you know, who everyone knows from the call that opens the movie, no matter what language you saw the movie in, all 32 languages originally, is Lebo. And of course he was part of writing the stage show. And to bring that style of South African singing to the show has been important. So there's South African performers in virtually all of the productions minus Japan. And to do it in South Africa was just among the most thrilling things any of us had done. So. That reach is a big piece of what we do, you know? Absolutely. As they would say in Japan, that's amazing. Now, let's talk about a production that is about to open. Disney's Hercules. It's coming to the Paper Mill Playhouse. And it ran briefly at... At the Delacorte Theater in Central Park. Yeah, exactly. That's the home of the New York Shakespeare Festival. The public theater, founded by Joe Papp, has this free space in Central Park. It's a spectacular theater where you can see things outside. And in the summer... They do classical work there. And a number of years ago, the head of the public theater, a guy named Oscar Eustace, who I literally have known for probably around 38 to 40 years, because we worked at the Mark Taper Forum in Los Angeles together. And he runs the public theater and he came to me and he said, we normally do classics in the summer in the park. And we do these kind of offbeat versions of it using the community as actors and big choruses. And he said, but we thought this year, instead of doing a classic, what if we did something built on classics. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, how about Hercules? And we were like, well, that's the craziest idea ever. And I met with this brilliant woman, Lear de Bessonet, who ran this program and was gonna direct it. 
and called Public Works, where it's a very large population of community members from all sorts of places that come together to mount the show. And then you provide, you know, eight-ish professional actors in the middle of it. We did it in Central Park with kind of minimal scenery outdoors. 287,000 people joined a lottery to get 7,000 tickets. And it blew everyone's mind because it became the hottest ticket in New York for, you know, this period in the summer of 2019. And that gave us the idea to keep developing the show. We turned it into a two-act musical. We've done some readings and dance workshops, and it's going to open at the Papermill Playhouse with a really great cast. And then a year later, it'll open in German, in Germany. What a journey it has had. Well, we know that the show was developed for licensing, but so was Newsies which also opened at Paper Mill. So we're not recording. It's just us here, Tom. (laughs) Could we be going from zero to Broadway? Just asking. (laughs) Well, it's a good question. We've done three different productions at Paper Mill Playhouse. We did Newsies there. We did Hunchback of Notre Dame there. And we did a tour of Little Mermaid there. But Newsies did actually make it to Broadway. And there is an expectation that such things could happen. But right now, I've got to get it up at the Paper Playhouse, <laughs> and then we've got to get it translated into the classic comedy of the German language. <laughs> a little different than what we do. Willkommen. Robert Horn and Kwame Kwayarma are doing this really, really, really charming script, and it's very funny. I mean, we'll get it in Germany first, and then we'll see what happens as, as it gets developed. And it's, it's everything you know, right? So the movie is... Mencken, right? Our beloved Alan Mencken. So it's got classic Mencken ballads like Go the Distance and Meg's fantastic, you know, I Want Sam in Love. But then it's got all that gospel music. And then it's got that kind of Motown stuff that the muses do. So those three things come together. And then the other big change is James Eigelhart, who won the Tony as the genie, plays Phil. We spoke with him today, in fact. Oh, he loves you. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, we are very close and I'm crazy about him. And Bradley Gibson, who was Simba on Broadway and is on a really fun HBO show called Partner Track. Bradley is playing Hercules. And so it's a big party. There's a lot of puppetry in it for the Titans and all that. The music is fantastic. So my fingers are crossed. But that's being said, we don't have the first rehearsal till January 2nd. So I don't want to get my cart before my horse. We'll be calling you that week. And- Feel free to call. Feel f- you should come see it. Oh, we'll talk. Let's talk about the licensed shows for a second. I love seeing Hunchback. I loved Freaky Friday. For those who may not understand, why develop these titles without the intent of a Broadway run? Well, you know, I was born in California. I was born just a couple of miles from the studio on Walt Disney's birthday, actually. But ah. Happy so birthday I'm now. Happy birthday. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the big, the big bonus of my last birthday is I now get a discount on the subway here in New York. The, um, they do that for 50-year-olds? I didn't know. Yeah, Jeffrey, you're very thoughtful to ask that question. <laughs> but so I grew up seeing everything on tour, right? I got to see Pearl Bailey do Hello, Dolly at the old Schubert Theater, which is now oh. gone. And I grew up in San Francisco where I saw everything on tour. So for me doing shows in high school on my own high school stage, shows in my community theater, in my community theater stage, directing shows for my community center where I directed shows with with little guys in it, you know, for 10 to 15 year olds and and seeing things on tour. Licensing's huge for me, right? I never saw a Broadway show until I was a sophomore in college, Mm -hmm. but I'd gone to the theater my whole life. It's been my everything, but I never saw anything on Broadway. And so to think that Broadway is the only place to see a show it ignores two things. One, it ignores a lot of people can't come to New York. 
And it ignores the vibrant population of people who wanna make and see theater around the country. And millions of people engage in, whether it's high school theater, community theater, what have you, church basement theater. So we started creating work for that, right? We started taking some of our shows and adapting it into that. And then even Aladdin was that first. Aladdin was being performed in high schools long before. In fact, there was a really wonderful bilingual version of Aladdin where Jasmine and the palace all spoke Spanish and Aladdin and the folks outside spoke English. And it was done like in lots of border towns in Mexico and New Mexico and Southern California. So we've been doing these kind of productions for schools to do for a long time. And we're very big in that community, the different festivals and stuff for kids. So it's a place to put shows where people can do them because it reaches the biggest possible audience. Mm. And there's no arguing that if you, you're a young woman running props on a production of Beauty and the Beast, or you're someone in one of the shows, you're gonna get a different appreciation for the theater, for teamwork, for collaboration, just by doing this. So it's just, you know, it's doing good in a sense. It's spreading what I would hope are some great values about hard work and storytelling. And it also gives us feedback of what people like about the shows. I've even seen licensed versions of productions that I've said, oh, that's better than what we did. And we've integrated their ideas into our show. Art is theft, Brecht told us that. <laughs> well, let's discuss the junior programs. You touched on them. My niece, Dylan, just in Newsies Junior, had the best time. Can you talk about the success of that program? Well, the thing that has been surprising to me is how many people want to, it just happened today, actually, on the street, walk up and tell me about their school production. And it's more people than you imagine. So Martin Luther King weekend, I'll be in Atlanta speaking to over 7,000 wow. kids who are basically middle school age at the Junior Theater Festival. 7,000 wow. kids gathered in the fellowship of being theater nerds. I love it. Wow. Yeah, and they're living their best lives. They're all together. They're meeting kids from schools all over the country who bus in. And there's another one done in Sacramento. It's still growing. So there you can see about 2,500 kids. And I go talk to them too. This is much bigger than people think. And there's curriculum built around. So when you get the script from us, you also get some curriculum materials, particularly like the Lion King. There's a Lion King experience where you learn about all the instruments the music is played on. You learn about the history of the mm. art, the history of the design. Where does Julie Taymor, who is not only the director of Lion King, but the conceiver of the production, the designer of the puppets and masks, a remarkable woman, you get to find out who she is. Mm. Just think about that, right? No matter what town you're in, no matter what language you speak at home, no matter how much experience you do or do not have in the theater, there's a place for you, right? And our doors are wide open. People who make theater are like, if, if you want to sit and watch it, sit and watch it. If you want to be in it, be in it. If you want to be backstage, be backstage. If you want to design for it. And we've created that and a thing called Disney Musicals in Schools, where we fund and help schools to do these licensed productions. And so we fill every, I mean, separating from the trauma of the pandemic, but we fill our theater with kids who've done New York area productions of our shows. They all get to get up individually. Each school does a number and all the adults are in the balcony and they, it's, it's just so unbelievably beautiful to watch our stage crew putting microphones on kids and it's a giant party. And I love that. Mm -hmm. Switching tracks, going back to something you touched on a little bit earlier, Frozen. I loved Frozen. I spoke with you for our Disney 23 cover story when the show was coming to Broadway. Can you talk about how the decision was made to close the show on Broadway, how the tour evolved, what's going on in London? Well, closing the Broadway production was very painful. 
I love our production of Frozen. Collaborating with Chris Anderson Lopez and Bobby Lopez and Jen Lee was so glorious because they had made the movie. And it was a movie that I hadn't worked on. The movie, when I was at animation, mm. which you probably know, I was spent a long time in animation. We actually developed the Snow Queen as an idea and abandoned it. In fact, Harvey Firestein, the legendary playwright and oh, actor wow. who wrote Newsies, and most people know him from various movies and stuff, but I wrote Newsies, the stage version. Harvey, actually, I hired, so he was in the chain of title on Frozen. So that idea has been around for a long time. I didn't work on the movie Frozen in any way, but working with those artists who did, I love our production. But we had three things running when the pandemic shut us down. Oddly, I was the chairman of the Trade Association of Broadway. So I'm the person who literally was on the phone with the governor saying, you have to say these words, Broadway is closed. And he did on March 12th, mm. 2020. And when that put a screeching halt to what we thought was going to be three weeks, then three months, then five months, then six months, then 12 months, then to 18 months, it became obvious where we were headed that to open post-pandemic three Disney titles, Aladdin, Lion King, and Frozen at the same time, was going to be just untenable. Economically, there wouldn't be enough people coming back to Broadway in the beginning to attend. And the shows are very expensive to put on. So you have to fill every seat to pay the cost of, there's a lot of labor involved. And, you know, these people, you know, this, this is a living. That's not a hobby mm. for the people in and around the show. So then when you look at which show would close, we were obviously not going to close Lion King. Aladdin was in our own theater where I am right now talking to you, the new Amsterdam. Frozen was the newest of them. But the other nuance here, Jeffrey, is that we were preparing the London production. And so if you have to decide which of these shows is not gonna reopen, it made sense to not reopen Frozen because the other shows, one was in our theater and one was The Lion King. But also we could take all the Broadway, what we would call assets, the scenery, the costumes, all that stuff, and send it to London to mount the production there, which meant when we opened post-pandemic, we were going to open the show costing less money. So it became an economic and logistic thing of getting all that stuff out of the theater. So when people went to the London premiere of Frozen, which was about, I don't know, four or five months before Broadway reopened, you were seeing costumes in many cases that had been on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And for several years, and I have to ask because this is one of my favorite musicals, High School Musical, the musical, I mean, the series has basically produced Disney shows on their shows within the show. So how does that partnership work? And have you had a favorite moment watching? Well, okay, so the secret of this, which is no longer a secret, is that a very dear friend of mine and a brilliant man named Tim Fetterly, who created the idea of High School Musical, the musical, the series, was in The Little Mermaid on Broadway. He played a fish, he played a seagull, he played a chef, and he played a sailor. He was in the ensemble. And we became friends when he was in the show, in the tryout in Denver, I'd met him. And then he was in the show and was thinking, I don't think I want to be a performer anymore. And he ended up, we got him a job with the stage version of Sister Act in London. And then he worked on Billy Elliot. And then he and I had been talking about lots of different ideas. He wrote this fantastic book series called Better Nate Than Ever, a five, six, seven, Nate and Nate Expectations. I love those. Yes. There were many weekend sojourns when he would take over my dining room and write. I loved him and he's so great. So we talk before every season and he'll say, this is what I'm thinking I want to do this season. So we give Tim pretty much carte blanche to the rights for any of our stuff because he's part of the Disney theatrical family. (laughs) I don't know that that's ever been said out loud, but there you have it. Well, it's on record now. 
(laughs) (laughs) So Disney Theatrical is currently developing a musical based on hidden figures. Please tell us, tell us everything. One of the lessons of Frozen was how many Disney titles can be on Broadway that are, if you will, fairy tales. Let's call Lion King a fairy tale for this argument. It's hard, right? But when I had Elton John's Aida, that of course made my beloved Heather Headley a very famous person and she won the Tony and all that, that when Aida was running with Beauty and Beast and Lion King, that made sense because you didn't think of them in the same category. So as I was going through the Fox catalog, because as you know, Bob Iger bought Fox and then of course the pandemic hit, but I was going through all the titles and the one that just leapt out to me was Hidden Figures. I think it's an important story. I think it's a lesson for all of us about how the world has grown and the contribution that the people who you never heard of, and I think it's what everyone loves about the movie, is how is it possible that these remarkable women changed the world and before Hidden Figures, the movie, the vast majority of the population didn't know they existed. Now, shame on us, right? Shame on us for our education system, shame on us for not telling the story, but the way to remedy that is to tell the story. And that's why I'm excited about it. Absolutely. Oh, I'm here for it. And now we're all spoiler free here, but what is a Disney film you'd like to develop into a stage musical that you haven't done yet? Well, it's tricky. I got to work on about 21 of the big animated titles in my time in animation, but the majority of them probably for me don't scream stage musical, right? They don't have that on them. So the vast majority, like I, for example, I among the greatest experiences of my life was being in the room with Toy Story because it changed filmmaking and the characters are so great. But for me, I get why people want to see that on stage, but there's nothing about it that says stage to me, right? Because the whole fun is seeing them in scale. My personal favorite of all the Disney animated films was Lady and the Tramp. And again, I don't want to see Lady and the Tramp on stage either, but I get hit up all the time. (laughs) Pete's Dragon is a big one. People come at me all the time. I don't see it, but I always want to honor someone else's, you know, kind of impression of what that would be. So if I want to do it, I kind of have my sights on it, but then, you know, something might pop up. I never thought people would get on board with Hercules because I love it, but I I do find it also very generational. If you're over 50, you also don't get why we're doing Hercules. But if you're in that sort of sweet spot of you were in um, elementary school, middle school, high school, or even college when the movie came out, because it was the first one of our really irreverent movies, right? Where he makes fun of Disney consumer products, like I'm an action figure and all that stuff and (laughs) air hercs and everything. That generation, which is the sweet spot of Broadway now, right? They know that music. About 500 to 750 people gathered when we did Hercules in the Park, would gather outside the walls of this outdoor theater just to hear the music over the wall because it meant so much to them. Wow. Yeah, I'm part of that big old generation. So I'm very excited for this. Well, Tom, we are sadly at our very last question, which we ask all of our guests at the end of every interview. What is your favorite Disney memory? For me because I grew up in Southern California as a small child, was going to the park with my family at night. Mm. I have very, very, very deep, deep memories of being in the park at night on a warm, you know, spring, summer night. And we went every year. And there's something about that, that to me, being with my family, with my sisters, and you know, it's all there. That's a deep memory. And I get to tap into it a lot because, you know, for all of us who work here, 
because I've, I've worked on a number of park attractions, both in Florida and even in Japan and certainly in, in Disneyland. I, when I'm in the park, I'm thrown back to being a child again. And the, the late Marty Sklar, who I was so fond of and, and knew really well, he was such a great man. We were together about 6 a.m. in the park when we dedicated the window to the Sherman Brothers. And Richard Sherman is still with us. Robert Sherman is gone. And, and I got to spend some enormous amounts of time doing Mary Poppins, working with Richard Sherman, because he did the stage version all over the world. And to be there in the park at that hour, to me, talked about what true Disney is, right? Which is caring about those who came before us, passing lessons on to those who are still coming into our story. And to be inside this unbelievable creation that Walt Disney made right there, you know, Main Street, looking at those store windows, having the Sherman Brothers up there, that to me tapped into my childhood memories of it. And so the parks, interestingly, having never worked in them, but worked on stuff in them, um, the parks are probably my most embedded childhood memory of it. That was a very long answer to your short question. Oh, that's oh, a it was great such answer. a great answer. Beautiful. Yes, yes. <laughs> Tom, we could talk for hours. You are such a great storyteller. So thank you so much for being here. We cannot wait for 25 more years of The Lion King, for Hercules, for Hidden Figures, for everything that comes next. Thank you so much for everything you do. And uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to you again real soon. Great being with you today. Thanks. Wow, Tom, what a fun, talented, amazing guy. I mean, yeah. Lion King. Oh. <laughs> record-breaking everything he touches is magic just brilliant well thank you again for listening to d23 inside disney don't forget to like and share this episode wherever you listen or subscribe and if you want to chat with us just hashtag d23 inside disney and for all the latest disney info check out d23.com we'll be back next week with more disney news and jeffrey and a fantastic guest on an all-new episode of d23 inside, inside disney, disney.